This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. We'd like to welcome all of you who have been listening to the Hockey Today podcast. We're happy to have you along to take you through the rest of the 2017 playoffs, including the Stanley Cup Final. We'll try to hold up our end. And if you're new to the show, you know every Monday we welcome in E.J. Raddick from... NHL Network, NHL Now, between the hours of 4 and 6 Eastern Time. How are you, sir? I am good, Don. How are you today? Good. You can follow EJ at EJ Raddick underscore NHL. The awkward underscore, which is yeah. always difficult for people to find on their keyboard. I should probably, I should probably change that. You should. I think I should change it. I, I think, think I you should change, change it. it. All right. Well, I'm gonna, I may change it. <laughs> I may change it. I don't know why I even started it, to be honest with you. I'm not. Just to show you. Well, I just, I always just, when I'm looking for the underscore on, uh, like, on the phone, like, on the actual keyboard, it's not that big of a deal. But, like, on the phone, it's always it's always hard. But you know what? I follow you, so as soon as I put EJ in, bang, you just show up. up so. It comes up. Okay. And, and for any hockey go. fan, that should be the case, too. So, uh, okay. a, a million different places to start. I, let's go back to the series that everybody seems to have their eye on. And Saturday, uh, things certainly came to a head for the Capitals. They lose 6-2. Pittsburgh's up two games to none. Same old story, right? Can't beat Pittsburgh. Can't get out of the second round. But you know what? Pittsburgh's really, really good, EJ. Yeah, they really are. And, uh, you know, just think, they're playing without their best defenseman, uh, their best puck-moving defenseman in Crystal Tang, and maybe, arguably, a top five, six, seven defenseman in the National Hockey League, and yet here they are. They've rolled through the first seven games of the playoffs, having won six of them, and uh, going to Washington and win both games. Uh, and they survive an onslaught of uh, shot attempts by yeah. the Capitals in the first period of game Number two, you would have thought if you watched that first period, you just couldn't believe that this game was scoreless. And then what happens in the second period? The Penguins come out, they get a goal, it gets tied, but then they get two more. Braden Holtby gets yanked. I didn't really have a problem with that. I thought he really struggled on a couple of those for a number of reasons. And um, in the end, they lose the game 6-2. So uh, for the Washington Capitals, they are in, obviously, a uh, as close of a must-win situation as you could possibly be in game three. And they're on the road, and they're in a place in Pittsburgh where the Penguins have been the best home team all year. So uh, good luck. Yeah, and not exactly uh, news-breaking, but you, you see all over Twitter that they are going to stick with Holpe for Game 3. Again, not not surprised at all, but I guess there was some you know, just conversation around some of the media. Would you make a change? But you know, as much as I like Grubauer, I don't know if I want him to try to save my season. Yeah, I think you had to ask the question because yeah. I was pulled in the last game. Sure. But I think the answer was that Barry Trotz gave was very expected. Um, I don't think they have anywhere to turn, quite no. frankly. So they've got to hope that Braden Holtby uh, can figure it out. And, you know, the funny thing is about it is that it's pretty, you know, you know, we look at this game, these first two games, and the, the Capitals have had a wide margin in the shot attempts. And Fleury has played very well, but... What gets lost in all this is the Penguin scoring chances that they have gotten have been pretty good ones. Yeah. I mean, you think about semi-breakaways, breakaways, two-on-ones, uh, high-end players on two-on-ones. So, uh, you know, to be fair to Braden Holtby, the chances that he has had to deal with have not been easy ones. And, uh, you know, for to use kind of the hockey vernacular, you need a save once in a while. And, uh, you know, he has not been able to provide it in those key moments. And 
Thus, the Caps are down uh, two games to none, headed into things on uh, Monday night in Pittsburgh. Well, you know, selfishly, I'd like to see Washington get back into this one. I, I think it would be a fun series, and if maybe uh, they can get a win, uh, sometimes just a change of environment a little bit. You saw it happen with Anaheim last night. Just getting on the yeah. road sometimes can be a good thing. Uh, now let's go to the other game on Saturday that's got a lot of Ranger fans just sickened by what happened at the end of that game. And we could talk about shortening the bench in overtime, and we could talk about this, that, and the other thing. But you can't blow a five-three lead late in the third period. Just you just can't do it. And I'm just—I'll yeah. be interested to see how this team—they got an extra day, which I guess is good and bad. The Rangers are kind of saying it's a good thing, and they have no choice but to say that. But I would think after a game like that, you want to jump right back on the ice and make up for it. But they do have a chance to adjust as they'll play tomorrow. But how do you overcome a loss like that? Because that was a tough one. Well, I think you do it uh, – you, hopefully you do it better than what happened the last time they had a tough loss in game two against the Montreal Canadiens when they blew a lead late, uh, 17 seconds left, and uh, with the Canadiens with the goalie pulled, scored. Similar situation, losing overtime. Uh, in game three, the Rangers did not have a lot of jump in that game. Madison Square Garden and the Canadiens won again. Eventually the Rangers could figure things out and got back on the right track, won the next three and won the series. But uh, I think the extra day off would help in this case, just to kind of figure things out. I, uh, you know, I just think that was that was a, a, as, as tough a loss as you could find. There was a lot of mistakes in the game, a lot of culprits uh, that you could point to. Uh, just one of those games that happens, and uh, they've got to put it behind them and put it behind them as best they can. The Ottawa Senators, we talked about, Donnie, they're a counterpunching team. They don't go away. They're uh, they're a pesky bunch. They feel very comfortable and confident playing the New York Rangers, and the Rangers have to get them out of that uh, comfort level. So uh, I'll be very interested to see if there's any changes lineup-wise for uh, Elaine Vigneault. Um, how he utilizes the defense has been, uh, I think, uh, scrutinized a bit over the last couple of days. I don't think it's unfounded. I think you know Brady Shea is uh, was one of the best rookie defensemen in the league this year. I think he's the second best defenseman on the team. I think you've got to get him out there consistently in games. You can't lose him on the bench, and Brendan Smith has been good with him. So, you know, for me, those are things that I'll be curious to see how they uh, unfold in game number three. Yeah, I just think that that should be the second pairing, and then Holden and Stoll should be the third pairing. I don't really have an appetite to put Glass in. I don't know where that helps. If you want to put Klein in for Holden, I guess you could do that. Uh, but you know what? Breaking the trap and, and trying to find offensive opportunities, EJ, has not been the problem. Uh, the problem has been on the defensive side and not being able to reduce Ottawa's chances. 43 shots on goal in Game 1, 6 goals in Game 2. So right now, if I'm AV, I'm more worried about the defensive side than the offensive side. Yeah, and I, I think really I think he's got to just be more comfortable with a, with a young player, with Brady yeah. J. I think uh, we see it in all sports when you have a rookie player sometimes uh, there's a hesitancy on the coach in big spots to lean on them you know I'll go all the way back down and use a baseball example for you I thought Buck Showalter when he was with the Yankees and he had uh, first year Mariano Rivera in a lot of different circumstances and I didn't I don't think he really knew what he had with you know which just makes sense I mean you know he hadn't done all the things that he would accomplish in his career sometimes mm. you don't really know what you have when you have a first-year player, and I think you have to have confidence. I mean, I look at the Rangers, and Ryan McDonough is clearly their their best defenseman. But after that, I think Brady Shea is probably their next best defenseman when you think about their whole game. I mean, Danny Girardi has slipped. 
uh, you know, he's he's a good stay-at-home guy, does the best he can out there, made a terrible turnover in the, on the first goal, which is inexplicable to throw the puck into that open area there. Uh, I think that uh, Mark Stahl defends really well and gives you a hard effort every night, but I think he's been compromised by a number of injuries in his career. And, uh, you know, I just think that uh, for me, Brady Shea has been a really – impressive uh, young player and you know he's going to make mistakes as well but uh you know he skates well he's got a long stick uh he's he gets involved and i think he's worked well with brendan smith so for me uh you know i would want those guys i wouldn't want to be losing those guys late in games or in overtime and that's that's one of those ones that uh you know i kind of shake my head out a little bit i think elaine vino has been a terrific coach in this league for a long time his record indicates that but that's one of those ones that i do uh I do wonder about. Yeah, and then you wonder about Bushnevich played just barely over five minutes, so I guess there could be the case that he doesn't trust him either, and do you put glass yeah, you know, in? You know but... what happened, I think, Donnie, with that? I saw Bushnevich a couple of times try to skate the puck in through traffic yes. in the zone, and that's just inexperience right there. Now, right. if they feel that they can get him to make this, we talked about this last week and really before the Montreal series, you have when you go through the neutral zone, you've got to go through smartly. And, uh, you know, I think that was part of the problem there. Uh, so that would indicate to me maybe they do bring Tanner Glass back in just to provide a little bit of jolt physical on that fourth line. So we'll see if, they, if he makes that move. But that's what that was to me when I saw the numbers and, and where he had so few shifts. It was just mm-hmm. those early shifts in the game where Bujnevich made plays that were just inexperienced plays to the neutral zone. He probably lost his coach with some of those plays. All right, now out west, we've got a 2-1 series. Nashville takes the lead. I, I don't remember, EJ, a team that is so reliant offensively on their blue line. I mean, they just get so much production from their D-men. Well, they got good ones. Yeah. And, you know, that's why. <laughs> I mean, uh, when you think about it, right, they've got Roman Yossi, who's a, you know, when you think about the Yossi and Subban are clearly high-end, you know, top 10, top 15, wherever you want to put them, top 20, whatever it is. But they're really high-end uh, defensemen. And then you think about Ryan Ellis, who to me is in that group as well. If I was putting together a top 20 defenseman in the league right now, I think he'd be in my top 20. He has really improved at that, that stage, and uh, he can shoot the puck through a wall, and he competes uh, really hard out there. And then you have uh, Matthias Ekholm, who's like another guy that – He's a really, really good player and someone that Peter Laviolette is, is very comfortable and confident on leaning on in all kinds of situations. You know, heck, he played over 26 minutes. The only, uh, the only guy who played more was Subban in that game on uh, Sunday afternoon. So uh, that's why, and also Peter Laviolette, he likes, you know, he's always liked activating his defensemen and getting them up in the play. So, uh, you know, when you play the National Predators, the thing they do is they really interchange in the offensive zone. Those defensemen could show up anywhere, and it's I think the defenders lose coverage on them because of that. It's not something you see a lot. I think it's something that particularly for the wingers they have to be really cognizant of is where those defenders are at all times because they could show up anywhere in the offensive zone. There's just a lot of movement by the National Predators when they get the cycle going on offense. All right, so they're six and one of the playoffs. Pittsburgh six and one of the playoffs, and now we go to the game last night, which was fun to watch, and that's Anaheim surviving with a six three win over Edmonton. And I thought the turning point of the game for me, an amazing move by McDavid and goal to tie the game at three, and then Wagner's soft goal. I thought from Talbot, uh, forty one seconds later, I thought was the killer. 
Yeah, that's the, you mean you had the building just going bonkers, and uh, everybody on the other side had rallied from three down to tie it at three. And you know, that's, you're absolutely right. It's a it's a killer when you give up a goal like that. And that's one. Cam Talbot was great in game two on Friday night, and uh, not so much here in game three. And that puck was going wide. He tried to to deflect it to the corner with his blocker, and it caught the inside of the blocker and carried past them. So that was definitely a deflator for sure. But the other thing that I thought really was, you know, that's a bad goal and that happens. But John Gibson made about six saves in the third period, which yeah. was just, uh, you know, say what you want, whatever, five, you know, five bell saves, whatever you want to say it. I mean, he made some really big-time stops to keep that game to keep, give the Anaheim Ducks and give them the lead going to the third period because they were hanging on. There was one shift, Donnie, I think, in the last two or three minutes of the period. They were literally hanging on for dear life. And Gibson, when they finally got a stoppage, was just hunched over in the crease and uh, looked like uh, you know he needed about a 15-minute break. So uh, John Gibson was the difference to me. He hadn't been as good uh, in the first two games. He'd been okay. Uh, and he was kind of in the same mode early in game number three. But after that third goal when McDavid beat him, it seemed like uh, a light went on for him, and yeah. uh, he just slammed the door shut. And that was, to me, uh, the biggest turning point in that game because even though the, the bad goal got scored against Talbot, uh, the Oilers came right back down the ice and had a number of chances, but Gibson was just too good. And the other controversy is on the Silverberg goal, was it offside? And by looking at many of the angles, it looked like it might have been. Yeah, it was tough, but it's one of those ones, Don, I think that there's no conclusive look at it, right? I mean, it's like you look at it, you go, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure, and it becomes one of those. So it was a tough break for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but, again, you know, they got behind 3 nothing in the game. It's never good. They did manage to tie things up, but uh, I give the Anaheim Ducks a lot of credit. They played, uh, you know, they knew they were coming into a tough situation. They got it done. Now we'll see what happens next because, uh, you know, there's a couple of days off there. The Ducks have decided to travel to Kelowna, British Columbia, to, to spend the two days away from Edmonton. I, I think that was kind of a smart move with all that has gone on in Edmonton with the, you know, the, the fans being so revved up. It might be good to be away from that, get focused on game number four. I guess if they win game four, everybody will think it's a good idea, and if they lose, it was a bad idea. But uh, that should be a real interesting game, and the Oilers have been fun to watch, and the Ducks, uh, this is a real good series. This is two really good teams right now. Now, I'm in the middle of reading a book called The McDavid Effect. I don't know if you've seen it at all. I know sometimes you get a lot of books sent to you by the league, Mm -hmm. and I guess Marty Klingenberg wrote the book, and I I thought about it just because of what you said about them having to go to B.C., uh, to kind of get away from the fandom. And it just really explains just what McDavid has meant to that community and, of course, the new building opening up and, and, and just how downtrodden that whole area was because oil is just not worth as much as it was. And and it just really ties in just the community and how McDavid kind of is looked upon as a savior there and how passionate they are about hockey. And ironically, the book was finished before this season started. So I can imagine he probably has got to go back in and just add another chapter if this team makes a run. But there's such a connection between what looked like a down-and-out community and franchise that has now just been rejuvenated by the addition of maybe the next Sidney Crosby and what they're hoping can be their next Wayne Gretzky. So I can imagine the fans in that building. We've, we've been to Edmonton many yeah, times. We were there in 2006 together. That's right. But that right. this is the one community in Montreal, Toronto, but that really attaches their identity to that team and what it means to the community and what it means to the franchise. And that's a lot of responsibility to put on a 19-year-old. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, Don, when you think about we just had the draft lottery go by, the good fortune that the Edmonton Oilers had to, you know, they won a number of these things, and they had a number of good players that they've been able to draft. But to win that lottery and to have the opportunity to pick Connor McDavid, I mean, that's that's literally changed the fortune, as you read in that book, of that franchise. And the same can be said for the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the lottery and getting Austin Matthews. So uh, these are earth-shattering kind of events for franchises in a positive way, just like it's a negative maybe for Arizona a couple of years ago to end up with a third pick and not having a chance at one of those top players or Mm -hmm. not winning a lottery and getting a homegrown Austin Matthews. Think about what that would have meant to the Arizona Coyotes franchise. Oh, yeah. Austin Matthews be part of their team moving forward for the next uh, 10 or 15 years, a homegrown product like that. So these are things that happen in professional sports that change franchises, and there's no question that's been the case in Edmonton. And they've been Mm -hmm. fortunate they have an owner that has the financial wherewithal to uh, to support that team, they got a new building there now, so definitely it's better days. Yeah, right now for the Edmonton Oilers and uh, the Devils win the draft lottery uh, on Saturday, and Victor uh, sends a tweet like, "Who are they going to pick uh, in the first round?" And he makes a great point with the Flyers picking second. <laughs> you know, depending on how these things go, a rivalry can get created, and it's going to be a constant reminder that if you didn't pick the right guy, New Jersey, that you might have set up the other franchise. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, of Hall and Sagan, but they were at least, you know, there, there was a there was a separation there between Edmonton and Boston. I mean, these are two teams that play in the same division. Johnny, I thought of the same thing, and I think there's a lot of pressure on the Devils here because you're absolutely right. If they take the guy that doesn't turn out to be the player and the other guy is right down the turnpike in Philadelphia, especially in light of the fact that the Devils took Pavel Zaka a couple of years ago and decided to pass on Ivan Provorov, who's turning into a yes. uh, a high, high-end defenseman. And no knock against Zaka. I just think you know Provorov is going to be a more impactful player in his career if things stay as they are. They also didn't decide to take uh, Zach Wierenski, and we see the effect he's had in Columbus. So, I mean, there's... These are big decisions that get made, and for the Devils, uh, my uh, the people that I talk to tell me the Devils uh, they they're, there's a, they're, they like Nico Heischer a lot, and that the feeling is that they would take Nico. I think Ratio and his scouting staff are going to have a real tough decision here, um, just because of the fact that you want to be sure that you've got the the guy that fits what you're doing. The Devils seem to want to play fast, and he sure, I believe, is the, is the faster player. And I'm really impressed with him. I think both these guys have a chance to be really good players. But I do uh, understand what you're talking about there. I think that Philadelphia is in the safe hole because they don't have to make a decision. They'll just take right. whatever the Devils don't take, mm-hmm. and it could end up being great for one of them. And you know, it could go the other way as well, but uh, I think there will be pressure on Ray Shiro and his group as they continue that rebuild in New Jersey. All right, let's close it out with some tweets. NYR Fanatic asks you, EJ, who is in the better position yeah. to rebound from 2 nothing down, Rangers or Capitals? Oh, boy. I think the Rangers are just because of the opponent. Rangers are coming home. I know the Garden hasn't been like – they haven't been great at the Garden this year, but they won two games they had to win against Montreal at the Garden. Um so I think the Rangers are in a better position just because the Pittsburgh Penguins have been so good on home ice and uh, they've got Crosby, they've got Malkin, they're just the better team, you know, they're better than the Ottawa Senators. So I would say the Rangers being home, playing a little bit of a lesser opponent, I'd say they have a better chance. But 
you know, you just never know how these things are going to play out. All right, Stephen wants to know, what do you think needs to be done to win these two games at home for the Rangers besides turnovers and effort from some players? Well, I mean, they can't, uh, you know, the turnovers are important. I mean, that first goal was a terrible goal all the way around the other day because Girardi makes a terrible play, throws it to an open area, and then Henrik Lundqvist just, you know, that's that was an un-Henrik Lundqvist-like play. I mean, that's that should be, he should eat that up. He normally does. Instead, he misses it. It was just one of those days, I guess, for uh, for Jean Jean uh, Gabriel Pajot that uh, everything he did was going to be good that day. So, uh, but certainly the neutral zone turnovers they got to clean up. They got to clean up their play in front of Lundqvist. They've got to create more problems for uh, for Craig Anderson. And just try to be playing in that end more. I mean, just get that get that four check going. Work on Eric Carlson. I think they did a good job being physical with him in game number two. He had mm-hmm. to leave the game for a while. He was able to come back. But, I mean, he's obviously dealing with something. And I think the Rangers have to take advantage and hit him every single opportunity they can. I thought in game one, even though they lost on a fluky goal at the end of the game, uh, Ryan McDonough's decision not to finish Carlson in the corner there and not just to hit him in that corner – allowed for that fluky play to develop because the puck then was kind of lost in McDonough's feet. Carlson was able to grab it and throw it, and it looked like it hit Stepan and caromed in. But I just think you've got to hit Eric Carlson every single opportunity you can, and I think they did a better job of that in game number two. I would think they'd want to continue that in game three and uh, try to take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, it's as simple as that. They certainly were able to create enough offense in game two but uh, the the Senators are a pesky bunch, and they have more. That's a deeper offensive group than the Montreal Canadiens. Sure. Their 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 back end guys offensively can score. I think we talked about this at the start of the series that it's kind of a committee approach offensively, and they believe they feel like they've been overlooked, and they've got that us against the world mentality going, and they've got these stories within their group of MacArthur and Anderson. So there's a lot of mojo and intangibles kind of going and swirling around the Ottawa Senators. I think. You know, for the Rangers, they just have to, you know, it has to be a 60-minute effort, and it has to be won every shift. You just, you have to try to win every battle, because when you look at those two goals that were scored at the end of the game to tie things up, they just were too many lost battles in the defensive zone that led to those opportunities. They just have to do a better job at uh, playing shift-to-shift hockey and not giving these guys any room to breathe. Uh, Yehuda wants to know, is anyone capable of stopping the Penguins right now? Well, it doesn't look that way. But the Penguins, uh, you know, they are giving up a lot of opportunities in these games. I mean, they gave up 38 shots per game in the first series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. In the first two games of this series, they've given up more than 80 shot attempts in each of the games. They've been leaning on Marc-Andre Fleury a lot, who's played terrific. He's staying in the blue paint. He's not getting caught scrambling around his net too much. He really looks very in control of himself in goal. They get, because of their speed, uh, defensively they create they, you know they'll deflect a lot of shots they block shots they they make it hard to get pucks to the net they're really well coached Mike Sullivan has done a great job and they have the best player in the league in Sidney Crosby and they have one of the next couple of best players in the league in Evgeny Malkin and then they've got other great players that have already won and and understand what it takes so uh, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat the Penguins I thought the Washington Capitals probably had the best chance uh, but now they find themselves in a 2-0 hole going to Pittsburgh so they're they're in a tough spot uh, I don't think there's anybody else in the East that can beat them in a seven-game series. If you get into a matchup maybe against the Ducks uh, because they're deep through the middle of their team, 
Perhaps they can do it. I would love to see a McDavid-Crosby final. I mean, that would be uh, off the chart for the NHL to see those two guys going head-to-head. Nashville, because of their ability defensively and their team speed, could give the Penguins some trouble. I don't think St. Louis could do it. So, I mean, that's kind of the look for me. I think that Anaheim, if Washington can't get back in this series, I think Anaheim has probably got the next best chance. But, again, I would love to see McDavid and Crosby. That would be an awesome Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. And finally, Jimmy Murphy says, E.J. Raddick, one of the good ones. What does he know about you that I don't? What a a nice guy. That's nice. nice. Thank you, Murph. Appreciate it. So, listen, thank you so much. NHL Now, what do you got coming up on the show? Uh, four to six today. Well, we're getting ready for uh, we're getting ready for Penguins and Capitals. We're gonna have the one game tonight, so there'll be a lot of discussion on that. We're gonna break down some of the uh, the face-off wizardry, if that's even a word, of the Anaheim Ducks and how they're able. We still we've documented it in the last in the last couple of weeks. Some of the plays they run in the offensive zone to get goals, and now they last night pull one off out of the defensive zone. To get uh, to go 200 feet and get a goal, so we're going to look at a little bit of that and and uh, some of the saves that John Gibson made and just a lot of the playoff stuff. And we'll probably talk a little bit about the uh, the draft lottery as well because that was crazy how that turned out. All right. Well, I will talk to you again next Monday. All right, Don. I'll All be right. At the garden. Yes, I will be at the garden as well. So we're looking forward to that on Tuesday when the Rangers Senator Series continues and EJ joins us every single Monday uh, here on NHL Live. So you set the one game tonight, Capitals and the Penguins. The scene shifts to Pittsburgh. So we'll see if the Capitals can do what the Ducks did last night, win on the road and try to get back into the best of seven series because right now there's no way the Pittsburgh is going to blow a 3 nothing series lead. May not blow a 2 nothing series lead, but we'll see if the Capitals can be heard from. There have been times where they've outplayed. You heard from EJ that they've outplayed Pittsburgh. They just have not been able to get that key goal. We'll see if they can get it tonight. Rangers and the Senators tomorrow. The West will continue as well a little bit later in the week. We're all over it. Thank you so much for joining us. At Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct is the way to get in touch with me. We want to welcome everybody that's listening to us on a national platform now. We do appreciate that. And, of course, you can follow us on iTunes and the ESPN app, and we encourage everybody to subscribe. So if we didn't get to your tweets today, we'll definitely get back to them tomorrow. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.